morning, everybody. Nice to see you. Morning at home as well. Missing you all. Very excited about when we can all in the room together. Uh, for those of you that haven't met me before, my name's Nick and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and it is my absolute pleasure to talk to you about Palm Sunday, which is this day that, I mean, whether it happened on this day, who knows, but we celebrate it on this day. Um, and that's what I'm going to be talking about. And I've called this talk, oh, I've left my clicker. Do you mind passing it over there? Um, I've called the talk Heaven's Expectation. And I'm going to be talking all about our expectations and how that influences our relationship with God as a father. So I'm actually going to just dive straight in to uh, how Palm Sunday is described in the Bible. If you've got a Bible, jump over to Matthew 21 um, and it will come up on the screen for you as well. Here we go. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, Bethphage, not sure which, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you say, the Lord needs them, and he'll send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey." The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They bought the donkey and the coal and placed their cloaks on the floor, uh, placed the cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, it's important to give just a little bit of context as to what this is. You you may be hearing this for the very first time this morning. Um, You may have heard it hundreds of times, but just to give you a little bit of context. Now, what had been happening is Jesus had been on the earth and he'd been going around doing incredible things. He'd been healing the sick, he'd been speaking life over people, he'd been, you know, just doing the most audacious miracles. But almost entirely, he'd been doing it right under the radar. In fact, very often, if you read the stories of Jesus, you'll hear him do something amazing and then say, don't tell anyone. He was keeping it on the lowdown, really, really quiet. Now, this couldn't be more different to what we've seen up till now. The sense of under the radar, this is not under the radar. This is public. It's the sense of celebration. And what we're seeing in this moment is for a few hundred years before this, the Jews had been waiting. They'd been waiting and praying for this guy to come, for this king to come who would save them. And they all thought it was going to be some warrior, someone who was going to come with this military victory and win victory by force and overthrow the government. That's what they'd been waiting for. They had spent hundreds of years listening to the stories of the generations before saying, it's coming hold on, just wait, it's coming, to free them from oppression. And what we see in this moment is the whole procession in their actions effectively saying, Jesus is this king we've been waiting for. Let's make sure everybody knows it. 
They weren't holding back anymore. And, you know, laying the coats on the floor, the cloaks on the floor, the branches, had a lot of symbolism. And what we know is that these traditions were reserved for royalty. It wasn't VIPs. You know, this wasn't just some important person arriving. Laying your coats or cloaks on the floor and branches on the floor was associated with only with royalty. So even that was a statement of huge deference and honor and value. And it's really interesting that for many of these people, they would have never met Jesus before. But actually, they were not saying, oh, you know, like we do in British politics, uh, where we say, well, we'll see how they get on and then we'll make our mind up. You know, someone gets elected and we do that very, you know, British thing of, well, let's see what you got first. And then, you know, then we might honor you. Actually, what they're saying is from the get go, we will pour ourselves out for you. We will lay our cloaks on the floor. We will honor you and give you high value. And, you know, I can't over over egg the fact that their expectations were up here. Hundreds of years of waiting. And this is the moment. But they couldn't have known that within a few days, that same king who they had pinned all their expectations on to save them from oppression would be hanging on a cross, lifeless and helpless. And we, we can't miss the power of that, that there was this, finally, hundreds of years, this is it, it's going to be okay. And then their expectation was Jesus was going to win by force. He was going to overthrow the government. But instead, a few days later, they're looking at him hanging on a tree. And he's, he's dead and helpless. And that would have been a massive, massive mismatch of their expectations. You know, they would have been waiting for this joy, expectancy, all the rest of it. You know, it's a bit like if you're in prison, you've been in prison for decades and you've been told there's this one guard that's got the keys. Look out for him. And for decades and decades, you're waiting for this guard to come and unlock your cell. And then one morning you wake up and you see him coming towards you with the keys. And just as he approaches, you watch in slow motion as the keys get dropped down a drain. You know, that is the extent to which this expectation was mismatched. There must have been like a what moment. This is just not how we saw this happening. And the problem for the Jews was that their hope was rooted in what they hoped and expected Jesus to do rather than what he was capable of or who he was. And that's where I want to focus our energy today. Now, a few weeks ago at bedtime, um, I was sat with one of our daughters. She'd had a tough day, and uh, she was pretty upset, and she was quite tearful and angry. She was grieving some of the losses of freedom that she'd been finding with COVID going on so long. And in a moment of emotion, she just shouted out, why doesn't God make COVID go away? And it was really raw it was real, and it was that moment of, I get it. And this is a child who has seen God do impossible things before. She knows him to be capable of doing amazing things. But in that moment, he just wasn't playing ball. He wasn't doing the things she was expecting him to do, and she was finding that really painful. And she's not alone. I'm sure she's not alone. And that we've all been saying, why? Why won't you just take it away, God? Why won't you do what we expect? 
We expect this to go, that you've got the power. Why won't you just do what we expect? And just in the last few weeks, you know, I had that same disappointment and pain when I'd been praying for a a friend, a guy who's been coming along to Ashford Sings Choir, battling cancer. I'd prayed my best prayers. I was expecting things to change. And instead, just a couple of weeks ago, I'm stood delivering his funeral. And that's painful because it's not what we expect. But the biggest problem here is that if we start to define God's character by how much he goes along with our expectations, we will pin him as something that he is absolutely not. The difficulty there is that if that's how we're viewing our view of God, it's when he delivers, we sing songs like he's a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper. But when he doesn't do things the way we expect, we can easily slip into this. He's cruel or he's unloving or he's powerless or he's untrustworthy. And we swing on this pendulum of how we see God according to how well he's meeting our expectations of what we think he should be doing. It's like we play God and say, well, God, you just need to do that, actually. And if he doesn't, we start to lack trust in him and we find ourselves disappointed But a few years back, Chris and I um, read a book that has been pivotal for us, and it's called God is Good. And it's by Bill Johnson. We did a whole teaching series here on it. I'm not sure if it's still on the podcast. I might speak to someone and see if we can get it back, because it was a long time ago. But basically, the essence of the book is God is good, the end. We cannot define God's character by our circumstances and what we see. That gets us into a mess. God is good. So do you know what? This year has been painful and he is good. This year has been really confusing and he is good. This year has been exhausting and he is good. This year has been a battle and he is good. And what happened as I started to make this transition in my theology and in my thinking was that actually I came to a place of realizing that my expectations could be rooted in who God is rather than in what I see. And that was life-changing for me. And what happens is, as I've done that, I've noticed it changes how I pray and it changes how I go into situations because I'm no longer trying to convince or coerce God into doing things. I focus on who he is and then I open my eyes up to what is possible. And perhaps surprisingly, rather than expecting less... I expect more. So rather than in terms of you might think, what, do you just set your expectations really low? Is that how you get through the pain? No. Like it's the absolute opposite actually. Because I'm rooting it in what I know of God and how capable he is and how powerful he is and how good he is, actually when I pray my expectations go up. And rather than seeing him as less powerful, I see him as more powerful And rather than wrestling out disappointment with as much anger and fear, although of course that is still in there, I have found a greater peace in sometimes just embracing mystery. I'm not trying to blame God anymore. I'm realizing that sometimes I have to embrace the mystery of when I just don't know. And a go-to Bible verse for me when I need breakthrough in a situation, you may know it well, is found in Philippians 4. And it says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, 
present your request to God and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Sounds really comforting, right? Like this idea that the peace of God can pass all understanding. And it is comforting, but if we want to find that peace in the truth of what it actually means, we have to embrace the challenge laid out in this quote, which is, you can't get the peace that passes understanding until you give up your right to understand. Like, ouch. I don't want to give up my right to understand. I want to understand everything God's doing. I want to know what he's up to, and I don't want to know why. But that, if we want the peace that passes all understanding, sometimes we have got to lay down our right to understand and let God be God. Let him be king. And for us to lay ourselves down instead and say, you are good, I trust you, and I know who you are. If you remember one thing from this this morning, it would, I would love it to be this. We have got to stop defining God's nature and his character by our circumstances and instead fix our hearts and minds on who he is. And he is a good father. He is a loving king. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he'll show you which path to take. Tom Wright, who's a theologian, puts it much more eloquently than I can. So I'm going to read to you some of what he says as we jump back to Palm Sunday because I honestly think there's something that happens in this mismatch at Palm Sunday which is hugely powerful for us as we've gone through this last year. This is not what we expected. It's not what we hoped. By all accounts, we may have the view that God's hands are tied and we don't understand why he doesn't seem to be doing something. That's exactly how the Jews must have felt when they saw him hanging there. And Tom Wright puts it like this. He says, The people wanted a prophet, but this prophet would tell them that their city was under God's imminent judgment. They wanted a Messiah, but this one was going to be enthroned on a pagan cross. They wanted to be rescued from evil and oppression, but Jesus was going to rescue them from even evil in its full depths, not just the surface evil of the Roman occupation. And then he says this, Precisely because Jesus says yes to their desires at the deepest level, he will have to say no or wait to the desires they are conscious of and expressed. That is powerful. Because he's interested in healing at a much deeper level, because he ultimately wants to say yes to the desires of their heart, in this moment at Easter, he's actually having to say no and you need to wait. And then he says this, the story of Jesus' grand, though surprising, entry into Jerusalem then is an object lesson in the mismatch between our expectations and God's answer. The bad news is that the crowds are going to be disappointed. But the good news is that their disappointment, though cruel, is at the surface level. Deep down, Jesus' arrival at the great city is indeed the moment when salvation is dawning. The hosannas were justified though not for the reason that they supposed. To learn this lesson, 
is to take a large step towards wisdom and humility and towards genuine Christian faith. I wonder if we will look back on this year that we have all been through. I think it was last Sunday would have marked a year of us live streaming services and doing online content. And I do wonder if in 10 years' time or 20 years' time, we will look back at this time and it will all make a little bit more sense as to what God was actually doing rather than some of our expectations of, why can't he just make it go away? Why can't we just make it stop? I do wonder if there is a much deeper, more fulfilling thing at play here that God is doing. And please let me say this clearly so that it would never be misunderstood. God has not sent COVID. Like, this is not some plan that God sent COVID so he can bring freedom. Absolutely not. The reason I know this is it's totally not in his nature or character. God doesn't do that. There's absolutely no evidence that God does that. God heals, not injures. God brings healing, not sickness. So he didn't bring it, but I do think there is something deeply at work in this season that I just don't know we can understand at the moment. And I wonder if it will only become much clearer for us over time when we look back and go, ah, now it makes a bit more sense. So... um, I'm going to, in the Talk Plus video after this, I'm going to give a bit more information about these things. But I would say, how do we do it? How do we lay down our right to understand and say, God, we will never, we refuse to stop knowing your goodness, even if what we see in front of us isn't what we know you would want. When my friend died of cancer, I know that wasn't God's plan. I absolutely know it wasn't. And yet I refuse to challenge his goodness in that moment. Because he is good and he is kind and he is a good father. And how do we do that? How do we lay down our right to understand? The first thing is we have to invest time in getting to know him. We invest our time in getting to know what he's like as a father. Take time to listen to him. Take time to worship. Take time to read the Bible. Scrutinize the person of Jesus and how he treated people. Have a look at his life and analyze the way that he dealt with people. Next, call out the lies and replace them with the truth. One of the things I find interesting is the better you know someone, you have a better idea at how they will treat someone. So in this job, I often would have someone that might come to me and tell me their perspective on a situation where someone may have offended them or hurt them. But when I really know the person they're talking about, I can use my knowledge of them to say, well, that doesn't sound like them that doesn't feel like the kind of thing they do or say. And I can effectively take a perspective and think, because of my knowledge of that person, that doesn't seem to fit. And when we get to know God really, really well, when we see things coming, we, d- we don't think they're God anymore. Because we're like, well, of course it can't be God. So for example, very recently, I was talking to someone who was in a, in a relationship and they kept getting really, really anxious. And they said, do you think it's God trying to tell me I should not be in the relationship? And I was like, well, God's never going to give you anxiety because God is the place where all anxiety leaves when his presence comes. So, you know, he's not going to make you anxious in order to tell you something. 
And the reason we know this is because I know what God is like. So when you know him, you can call out the lies and you can replace them with the truth. And finally, we need to learn to embrace the mystery. We have to find a place where we can say, I don't understand, I don't get it. And rather than it, not, rather than it being passive, like, a, oh, well, God will just do what he wants, that's not it at all. We embrace the mystery by seeking to understand more, by getting into his presence, and by expecting more, and by declaring more truth. That's how we get there. So those things, invest our time in knowing him, call out the lies and replace them with the truth, and embrace the mystery. Because when you're in pain and you're feeling disappointed and you don't understand, the worst thing to do is walk in the opposite direction from God because he's desperately trying to bring you a greater comfort and understanding. So let's stand and we're going to pray together. Father, we ask today, as we remember Palm Sunday and we remember this huge sense of expectation, the hopes of a people placed on your shoulders, but it didn't work out how they thought, how they expected, We thank you that heaven's expectation was better than they could have ever imagined. That heaven's expectation went way beyond anything their minds or hearts could have ever comprehended. And as we stand today, for those of us who are feeling confused, disappointed, in grief, tired, and for where you're not responding to our expectations in the way we hope, We ask that you would help us to know who you are first and to root our expectations in your nature and your character as a good father. That we would come to you with that disappointment and we would refuse to challenge your goodness just because of what we see. And we ask that you would help us to trust you again where we feel like we have had ways of losing trust because of things that have happened that we would choose to trust you again. And I thank you that you are trustworthy. Help us to say yes to you again, because you are good. Thank you, Father. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.